rather you live your life in vanity You traded all your hopes and dreams for insanity I'm Father Harry Dean, a priest of the Diocese of Austin with Deacon Ronnie Lastavica, a deacon of the Diocese of Austin. Deacon Ronnie serves in restorative justice ministry, and the ministry to our incarcerated souls and the corrections officers who walk uh, their daily lives with them. Myself as chaplain of Cedar Break Retreat Center, which is the retreat center for our Diocese of Austin, and we are making our way through the Ministry to Persons with a Homosexual Inclination Guidelines for Pastoral Care. We've outlined the truths of our church as regards human sexuality in general, homosexuality specifically, and we have moved on from the general principles of those truths into providing pastoral care and the vision that our bishops have for that to happen. And Deacon Ronnie, uh, last episode started us out with how that looks in terms of church participation, and we've moved on now uh, into our final uh, part of this topic with uh, catechesis, and uh, basically uh, to kind of bring us back to the the start of that again, um, the catechesis ought to reflect the fullness of the church's teaching on human sexuality in general and homosexuality in particular— and this is quoting the document here of the bishops, moral conscience requires that in every occasion Christians give witness to the whole moral truth, which is contradicted both by approval of homosexual acts, but it's also contradicted by unjust discrimination against homosexual persons. And that's been a thread throughout the entire time. The church wants to be sure that that we say, here is the truth about human sexuality, but as we promote it, There is no excuse to come into the lives of people and be uncharitable with them if they are living in a particularly sinful orientation, in this case, a active homosexual lifestyle. There was the distinction between the inclination to homosexuality and the actual acting out of uh, homosexuality, which is part of this, this dynamic. Tell the truth, which isn't always going to be accepted by people and will sound to some as if we're condemning when we're not. However, on the other hand, don't condemn, but invite to to live the truth. And so on the catechesis side, the document continues in tone. Catechesis ought to be welcoming, yet challenging, charitable, but firm in the truth. And again, that hits both sides of this this coin. We've got to tell the truth. But at the same time, we got to do it within the truth, and God's truth is always going to be one that is charitable, even on something that is that gets people's blood jumping and uh, creates some discomfort and sometimes just some outright, I really don't want to have to expend the energy on this. But what I'm hearing very clearly from this document is this is something worth expending our energy of helping people to live in the manner in which their human sexuality is placed in a holy orientation as opposed to a sinful orientation. So the document continues on. The work of catechesis is exercised first in the family by parents of children. The church should assist parents as the first teachers of their children regarding sexual and affective development, as well as their children's understanding of divine and natural law and matters of human sexuality. Now, that is a really 
hot topic for people right now, especially when it comes to what's my role as a parent with my child if they begin to question their human sexuality. I think this is pretty clear. The church's answer to that is it's part of your responsibility as a parent to hear well what the church teaches, to accept it as something that is the desire of God, and ultimately the greatest good that you can give to your children. The confusion that a lot of people seem to have is the greatest good is allowing my child to decide for themselves, to take information from other sources apart from me as the parent or the church that we attend and allow them because it's the greater good to make individual choice to make that choice. We would not agree with that. We would say, yes, help the child make an individual choice but informed by the higher good, which is going to come from what we believe to be the will of God. So to continue on, catechesis starts with the formation of those who so generously engage in this essential ministry. It starts with the parents, and then it moves into the life of the parish. Care should be taken in their selection, those who are going to teach in the life of the parish, in their selection and training. Individuals who do not support church teaching should not serve in catechetical ministry. Sponsoring training days and days of reflection conducted by theologically sound and pastorally wise ministers is an important component of this formation. I know it sounds odd to put that out there, but I think for a lot of nervous parents who justifiably, if they're delegating a part of the formation of their children to others, even in the parish setting, They want to know that what they're teaching them at home, as they understand to be the truth of the church's teachings, isn't going to be contradicted when they go to a catechetical class, but instead affirmed and dovetailed. I know in speaking to many people that either homeschool or send their children to Catholic schools, one of the reasons they decide to do that is they don't have to unlearn their kids from what they pick up in other settings. And so they want to be able to have, uh, you know, the same voice speaking to their children. Well, this addresses that. So if you're going to set yourself forward as a catechist, you need to know what the church teaches. And even if you have a personal opinion that diverges from that, which in conscience you're allowed to do that and work through it on your own, it isn't your right to share that within a class setting. What is your right is to teach what the church teaches. So it starts with that formation. Moral choices, as this document continues, ought to be based on sound moral teachings. Ongoing catechesis and conscience formation for persons who experience same-sex attraction should be an important part of this Catholic ministry, counteracting some prevalent societal mores and providing the basis for making informed moral judgments. So, if in my parish I find it delicate, touchy, nerve-wracking to provide the teachings of the Catholic Church to people who experience same-sex attraction, whether it's the pastoral side or it's the truth of the church teaching side, if I absent myself from that, they are only left with the voices of opposition. They are not left with the grounding that the church can provide. We understand it can be nervous. We understand it can be delicate. We understand that that it might not be your favorite topic, but we are being encouraged to have it be there in our catechesis and in the the offering, if you will, uh, of any catechetical uh, program, because where else are they going to learn the truth? 
And out in the world, it's going to give them that other version that allows them to indulge and to see it as the right conduct way. And we are it's it's our uh, important uh, mission to be able to provide these truths to to our people. The church's teaching in its fullness ought to be presented by the clergy, especially from the pulpit and in other appropriate venues. Catechesis should also involve the entire parish community. Ignorance of the fullness of church teaching is often the greatest barrier to an effective ministry to persons with a homosexual inclination. Catechesis in the parish should also teach the virtues that are needed to live out the call to chastity, to selfless love, fortitude, temperance, temperance, and the like. I know in the corrections venue, and you know, for our incarcerated people, by the time they get there, there's been an awful lot of things that they've missed out on in terms of virtues, just as virtues to be taught, and practicing virtues as an idea in and of itself. Similarly, in our families and in our parish communities, we have to teach the virtues. We have to teach the invitation to practice the virtuous life because there's real good that can come from that. Uh, The founding of vocational callings, of being able to discern the Holy Spirit touching me on the shoulder to say, I'm calling you to be a priest. I'm calling you to be a deacon. I'm calling you to the vocation of holy matrimony. Um, to live a chaste single life, if that's the direction that you're going. But if we're not teaching those virtues, if we're not inviting the practice of those virtuous life, there's plenty of invitations to live other lifestyles out there, like the pleasure life, the indulgent life, the homosexual life, that people are going to find all day long. So it is on us as church to say to ourselves, this is a happy thing, not a nervous thing. Let's get it out there because we've got a jewel to share with the rest of the world. It's not going to be easy living that life, especially in an incarcerated um, community, but uh, it can be done and is being done. We've known many men and women that are living the virtuous life, living chaste life. Uh, and what they're, um, we see from them is this, this purity that radiates from them, this sense of this glow that comes from them, and because and you know that's how they are. They're, they're not living a compartmental life. They're not acting one way in the chapel and one day, and they're doing something different in the dorm. And, and that's beautiful to see. Is it easy? Absolutely no. It's very difficult, but they're being faithful. Uh, they're not asking for an easy life. They're just asking for God to give them the strength to be a strong person and to continue to, to foster in that life of, of, of holiness and, and growing closer to the Lord. And it changes not only them, but it changes their family. You know, it changes their, their relatives or that come to visit them. They see that change in that person. And they know that they will one day when they leave the prison, they will not leave there the same person that they came in, that they have uh, will leave, uh, that God goes with them, and God is with them right now in, in wherever they are. One of the benefits, and I don't think this is a phrase that gets spoken very often for good reason, but one of the benefits of living the incarcerated life is the fact that everybody does know what everybody else is doing. And if I start going to chapel all the time, and if I start taking a forward operating position within a liturgical setting or a catechetical setting as an inmate, and then I go back to my dorm and start acting out in ways that aren't consistent with that, you get called on it. Whereas in the outside world, a lot of times we can live that compartmentalized life where I look like a good and holy priest on the altar, and then I go home and find my ways of sin that I am thoroughly connected to. 
And the church asks me to be true to my calling in both places. In prison, it's not so easy to get away with doing that double life. In prison, they're all in the fishbowl. They're, they're all up close and they can see everything. And I think that's the beauty of, of living this life is that everyone gets to, to see it. I mean, if you if you were given, again, a dying into yourself and rising and daily and living a higher life in the Spirit, God's calling you to this life. And, and, and you can live it wherever you are, especially in prison. And it's a beautiful thing to witness and to see. And it's contagious because people want that too. I want to be free. I want to love as you love. And how can I do that? Well, here's how you how it works, and just follow the Lord. Well, I don't even want to believe that I can love as you love, and I knew you when you first got here, and you certainly weren't that way. But now, and this gets back to that that Catholic term, habituation. You know, you you are now consistently living in a way that's different than you were. I guess that means it's real, and if it's real for you, maybe it can be real for me too. Of course, it can, and we would want that to be that way for you as well. So catechesis, back into the document now, catechesis for the community ought to denounce unjustly discriminatory and violent behaviors against homosexual persons and to seek to correct misinformation that can lead to these behaviors. Parish social justice ministries integrally formed in the moral and social teachings of the church may be one venue for promoting just behaviors and opposing unjust discrimination towards persons with a homosexual inclination. I don't know about you, Deacon Ronnie, but I know when, where I grew up, all the way through my young adult life, the reality of the homosexual community in whatever town I lived in or church community I participated in, any number of people had a developed kind of uh, sense of expression and dialogue that was belittling of those communities where you'd make joke about how people look, how they talk, how they act, their mannerisms, the whole thing that is going to pave the way for worse behavior. You got to nip that in the bud. It can't be seen in your heart in your mind in your spirit as acceptable behavior. You got to get over seeing that that sounds funny to you. You got to get over saying, I'm going to accept that in casual conversation. You got to learn to walk away and witness to the reality that belittling anybody isn't going to invite them into the truth of our faith. Even if you're practiced at it, even if it's what you grew up with, that's really something on all of us that we've got to try and curb ourselves if we're going to really live the life that we're trying to invite other people into. As the document goes on, Local bishops should oversee material used for catechesis to ensure that the information contained is accurate and that nothing is contrary to church teaching. Catechesis, especially for young people, should explain the true nature and purpose of human sexuality and should promote the virtue of chastity, which this document has done very well, which has both been little understood and little valued in contemporary society. And in the footnote here, and we haven't been speaking the, 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 the things that are footnotes, but a useful resource, it says, is Pope John Paul II's The Theology of the Body, Human Love in the Divine Plan. Really, really big fan of that and um, would highly recommend it either as a starter or as an ongoing kind of background for you uh, when you're trying to wade into this topic. Uh, again, it's called... The Theology of the Body, Human Love, and the Divine Plan, John Paul II. Pastoral care, the next section that it moves on from catechesis is sacraments and worship. 
Catholics who are living in accord with the Church's moral teachings are invited and encouraged to participate fully and regularly in the sacramental life of the Church. And the importance of frequent reception of the sacraments, especially the Holy Eucharist, uh, for one's ongoing strengthening and sanctification um, should be and must be emphasized. Our Christian life is a progressively journey towards a deepening one's discipleship of Christ. People who are not all move forward at the same pace, and nor do they always proceed in a direct line toward their goal. Those who stumble along the way should be encouraged to remain in the community and to continue to strive for holiness through the conversion of life. In this regard, frequent reception of the sacrament of penance is of great importance, and ongoing sound spiritual direction is of significant help. And I can't underscore the importance of the sacraments. The sacraments are, uh, we see uh, Christ himself, or we, especially through the Most Holy Eucharist, and in the sacrament of reconciliation. And, and to see that this pattern of, of, of what we see like maybe failure is really growth. You know, we just need to be uh, uh, committed to the process that, that Christ is beside you. He's not ahead of you, and he's not saying, he'll try to catch up with me. No, he's right there with you uh, to pick you up, to encourage you. Uh, along this journey, and the, and the church recognizes that um, a marriage ex- exists solely between a man and a woman who, by mutual personal gift, proper and exclusive to themselves, tend to toward the communication communion. of communion of their persons, and so in this way they mutually perfect each other in order to cooperate with God in the procreation and upbringing of hu- new human lives. And we see that, um, consequently, the church does not support so-called same-sex marriages or other uh, semblances thereof, including uh, civil unions that give the appearance of a marriage. Church ministers may not bless such unions or promote them in any way, directly or indirectly. Similarly, the church does not support the adoption of children by same-sex couples since homosexual unions are contrary to the divine plan. And baptism of children in the care of same-sex couples presents a, a serious pastoral concern. Nevertheless, the church does not refuse the sacrament of baptism to these children, but there must be a well-founded hope that the children would be brought up in the Catholic religion. And in those cases where baptism is permitted, pastoral ministers should exercise prudent judgment when preparing uh, the baptismal ceremonies and also in preparing the baptismal record, a distinction um, should be made between the natural parents and the adopted parents. And I'm going to say that those last few points are going to be real sore points for a great many people. There's going to be a lot of folks that are in what they believe to be committed relationships that are same-gender relationships, homosexual relationships, and they're going to say that that's a rejection of who they are and, and how they are. And what the church would, would say in reply, at least as I'm hearing it in this document, is that isn't who you are. Who you are is a person who has a homosexual inclination, whether you're choosing to identify as such or you're going to identify as a, a person with that inclination that's chaste and isn't entering into the life of being a so-called gay person or lesbian person. If you'll notice, and we haven't talked about this, but you'll notice nowhere in this document are the words gay and lesbian used. There's a reason for that. The church sees those terms as gay and lesbian as 
accepting and embracing of the lifestyle of those who are acting on the homosexual inclination. We're trying to say we don't want to act on the homosexual inclination. Even if we have it, even if we see ourselves as oriented in that way, we're seeking to be chaste so that our human sexuality stays in a way that is holy and of the will of God. So you go into using that other language, you're now embracing lifestyle that we see as sinful and not helpful to that individual or to society in general. And so that's why you've got these things about not supporting uh, same-sex marriages, uh, of adoption, and so forth, uh, because that's moving away from that goal of saying, okay, I've got the inclination, but I'm not going to act on it by living the lifestyle or presenting myself under the terminologies of gay and or, or lesbian. But the church, having said all those things, still, you know, sees this as pastoral support. Some people may see it as rejection. We do not. Many virtuous people who experience same-sex attraction are ardently striving to live their faith within the Catholic community so as not to fall into the lifestyle and values of a gay subculture. The church's ministries are to encourage them to persevere in their efforts through teaching, guidance, and fellowship. Primary Primary among these is spiritual direction from a priest. And I think it's for we priests, and speaking as a priest, that if we have any allergies to receiving and engaging people of homosexual inclination, that's on us to do the due diligence and the work that we need to do by prayer, by penance, by calling upon sacramental grace assistance, by by formation, to allow ourselves to kind of be able to say, okay, that that's my issue as a human being. But as a priest of Jesus Christ, I've got a mandate, a mission, a calling to assist everybody. And they're coming to know and love and embrace Jesus Christ as sinners. And oh, by the way, I'm a sinner too. I have that same need for those sacraments of penance and reconciliation, just like everybody else. And therefore, I don't need to let my mind or my heart or my spirit migrate into a sense of hard-heartedness or irritation, uh, or any number of negative things that would not allow me to say with great enthusiasm, I want to encourage you in your pursuit of living a chaste life. I need to be in the place where I'm ready to do that at all times. And if I know myself well enough to know I'm not there, I need to work on it. I need to ask the the God of love uh, that forgives me uh, to allow me to have people come into my wheelhouse and to serve them enthusiastically. I think encouragement is a great word here. We want to encourage people to be the way God has called us to be, and that includes ourselves as well. It moves on to young people in particular need special encouragement, there's that word again, and guidance, since the best way of helping young people is to aid them and not getting involved in homosexual relations in the subculture or in the subculture in the first place since these experiences create further obstacles. There are particular temptations for those who experience homosexual attractions. For some, these attractions may be short-lived or situational, but for others, they may be part of a lifelong experience, which means they're going to need lifelong encouragement from us in order to resist them. That's my interjection. Now let me get back to the document. 
a distinction is drawn, and it seems with some reason, between homosexuals whose tendency is transitory and homosexuals who are definite, who are, uh, I got this wrong. Let me read it again. This is from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith on questions concerning sexual ethics. A distinction is drawn, and it seems with some reason, between homosexuals whose tendency is transitory and homosexuals who are definitively such. Pastoral support and counseling services ought to be more made readily available for persons who experience such attractions and for the families to which they belong. So it's this sense of, I'm just kind of passing through this, and then there's others that are really saying, no, I'm anchored in this, and this is, this is who, I, who I am. It can be helpful for persons who find themselves with homosexual attractions to gather together in mutual understanding and support. This can be particularly the case because persons with a homosexual inclination may feel different, which can lead to isolation and alienation, which are risk factors for an unhealthy life, including unchaste behaviors. Support groups noted for their adherence to church teaching for persons who experience same-sex attraction continue to be an important part of church ministries and are to be encouraged. Examples of such ministries whose principles are in accord with church teaching are courage and encourage. And we have courage and encourage in our diocese of Austin, and we hope to invite our priest moderator to come and join us at some point in the future uh, with that. Um, just kind of move ahead a little bit. Professionals providing counseling services for persons who experience same-sex attraction and the families to which they belong should be chosen carefully to ensure that they uphold the church's understanding of the human person. If they go to people that aren't, they can get what the culture wants to proclaim and not what the church wants to, to, to proclaim. The discovery that a family member has homosexual tendencies can pose a serious concern for parents, siblings, and spouses. The church reaches out to them, seeking to help ensure that the bonds of love among the family members remain intact. A helpful way of addressing this issue is through the formation of support groups for individuals and families, where they can also learn the full truth of the church's teaching regarding the human dignity of persons with a homosexual inclination and the moral principles regarding chastity that lead to the fullness of authentic human living. Concluding remarks, the pervasive influence of contemporary culture creates at times significant difficulties for the reception of Catholic teaching on homosexuality. We all know this. In this context, there is need of a special effort to help persons with a homosexual inclination understand church teaching. At the same time, it's important that church ministers listen to their experiences, needs, and hopes such that when they have that inclination, they can minister to them in charity. Dialogue provides an exchange of information, also communicates a respect for the innate dignity of other persons and respect for their consciences. Authentic dialogue, therefore, is aimed above all at the rebirth of individuals through interior conversion and repentance, but always with profound respect for conscience and with patience and step-by-step -step pace indispensable for modern conditions. We won't have time for our litany to conclude here, but Deacon Ronnie, I just, you know, I want to put anything else out there that you want to 
speak on as we conclude this final minute of this series on uh, the ministry to persons with a homosexual inclination and guidelines for pastoral care. I just want to just invite everyone um, to do um, the most important thing that all of us uh, will do in our life, and that's to fall in love with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Son of God and Son of Mary, is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's only from that love that all other loves in your life will flow. And so seek the one who is love, and, and, and that will be your basis for being able to um, stay uh, grafted to him, especially in the difficulties and these challenges that we all have in front of us. But Jesus Christ, he came to die for us in order to gather all of us together as one and know that you are one of those as well. All of us are. So we must all work, as this document says, for unity among God's people, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another through love, striving to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, one body and one Spirit, as you were also called to the one hope of your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray Pray for for us. us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.